My name is Matt. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. Good morning. Thank you for this side of the room participating. Good morning. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm needy. Um, we're going to have a great day today. I, I, I pray that this message will be beneficial to your life and maybe really spark something uh, maybe new in you. Um, but before we do that, I'd like for the people on the aisles to be kind of bold and grab that uh, clipboard. And we're going to sign in this morning. I'd appreciate it if you just let us know that you're here. This is one of the ways that we try to be better pastors and care for people. And uh, yeah, so appreciate that. And also, while we do that, you got some stuff when you came in in your insert, and this is really important for today. You already kind of see over here, and I'll explain it later. But oh, inside your insert or inside your bulletin, you should have a piece of fabric, okay? And so I need you to get that. If you don't have one of these and a black Sharpie marker, raise your hand, and some of our ushers are going to get those to you rather quickly. So raise your hand real high if you need a piece of fabric, and those guys are going to get those to you. I don't see any ushers moving, but yeah, they're going to start getting things to you rather quickly. Awesome. And we're going to use those at the end of service, not right now, but keep those hands up until you get them. That would be fantastic, fantastic. Now, as we kind of go uh, get this kind of conversation going, there, there is something that I have to make sure that we understand for today. It's really important for me, and it's why we gather as a church folk on, on this Resurrection Sunday morning. You might call it Easter Sunday. You, um, you might be here because you were invited, you might be here because somebody asked you to come or they made you come here or they kind of guilt tripped you into coming, whatever it might be. But the reason that they invited you, the reason they encouraged you to come wasn't because of a great set of teachings that we find in the Bible, and the Bible is full of teachings. It's not because Jesus had a bunch of clever parables, and he had a lot of clever parables, that's not why you're here. We gather today and celebrate because an event took place, all right? All right, I want you guys to make sure you get that. We're here today because an event took place that Jesus was beaten, he was crucified, and then he was resurrected. Like a dead man came back to life. And when that happened, man, things changed for a lot of people. I posted on our Facebook page an interesting article that on the Wall Street Journal that they did called the Easter Effect. And I would encourage you to go to our Facebook page, like it, and read that Wall Street Journal article about how Christianity really radically changed the world. It's a very, very interesting read. Today we're going to talk about that. Now, here's, But here's where I've got to build upon, okay? Um, for a long, long time, guys like me stood up on platforms like this and felt the pressure of the Easter message or the resurrection message because we knew that there were going to be people here that don't always go to church. There's people here that only come on Easter and Christmas, and there's this pressure that, are, that is on a team of people to really give a passionate and logical, not pathological, but a passionate and a logical message to try to convince you to believe. Like, you have been invited, I'm just going to be honest, pull behind the curtain here. Somebody invited you here today because they want you to believe what they believe. That's why you're here. They want you to believe what they believe as much as they believe it. Here's what I've learned, and here's what I'm learning. I am convinced of this. I am convinced that I can't convince you of anything. That's, that's what I'm convinced of. And so this morning, I do have, I hope, a passionate and a logical message, but it's not one to convince you of something. I want to actually reveal, you to, reveal to you this morning what I learned. So like, when I do my message prep, I open up God's Word and I begin to read the text. And like, what, what is going on here? And this year, as I was preparing for the Easter story, the resurrection message, man, I made an observation that I've never made before. And I think it is so timely for where we find ourselves today because in the world in which I'm a part of and that you're a part of, people base their truth on personal experience, not because they heard something. 
There was a day and time when guys could get up here and they could scream really loud and wave their arms and that somehow convicted you to believe what they believed. Those days are gone. And no matter how funny I am, and don't be mistaken, I am funny, right? Or how dramatic I can be. I'm not that dramatic. No matter how much I believe it, I am convinced that I can't convince you. But what I want to show you today is how if that is you, like if you're here today and you don't really believe this and you're just ready for 1230 to get here so you can get out, I want you to give me the next 30 minutes to show you how much like the early church that you are. So we're going to build on this foundational question. Here's the question. To the top of your insert, it's on the screens behind me. The question is this. What convinced the first Christians of Jesus' resurrection? What convinced, when I say the first Christians, I'm not talking about your grandma. I know your granny's really old, but she wasn't the first Christian, all right? I'm talking about the men and women who followed Jesus, the men and women who actually saw Jesus, hugged Jesus, did life with Jesus. What made those men and those women convinced? Because you know that they all lost their life because of this truth that they believed of the resurrected Jesus. They did not lose their life because they saw Jesus die. They went to their grave being persecuted and killed because they, they communicated that Jesus was, in fact, back from the dead. And they wouldn't change their story. There's a picture going around on Facebook right now from Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a part of uh, uh, President Nixon's uh, uh, cabinet, and he was one of the ones found guilty when Watergate happened. Anybody remember Watergate? I wasn't alive, but I've read about it, right? Well, Chuck Colson was a part of the trouble, and he went to prison. And he had, you can see this on Facebook, it's been making its rounds. Chuck Colson says this. He, he talks about why one of the reasons he believes in the resurrection is because over 40 people, disciples, women, other followers, they went for f- over 40 years going to their deathbed, persecution, alienation from their family, like completely ridiculed and made fun of and even killed for what others called a lie. Like they believed it, that like none of their stories ever changed. And his proof is, for the handful of people that were a part of the Watergate scandal, they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. Five guys couldn't get together and keep alive for three weeks when you have hundreds of people who never changed their story that they saw a dead man resurrect from their grave. I want to show you this story. We're going to start in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to see maybe what God says to you this morning. We'll pick up in verse 4 of Luke 24, and this is what we read. While they were wondering about this, okay, what's going on? Who's, who, who's wondering about anything? What's happened is Jesus' body has been taken off the cross, has been placed in a tomb, but it happened in such a quick span of time that his followers didn't get to care for the body in the way that they wanted to. And so early on Sunday morning, the women followers that love Jesus, they rush to his tomb with the spices and all the stuff that they need to care for his body. But as they begin to get there, they notice that the tomb is open. And that's not, that ain't what's supposed to happen. And as they get closer, they notice that not only is the tomb open, they get there and they see that the tomb is empty. Now, this is really key. The women's first response when they see the open tomb with no Jesus in it is not, he's resurrected. That's not what they think. They scratch their head and they're like, what's going on? This is where the story picks up. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. Now, I know not only do you guys love going to church on Sunday morning, you also love taking tests. Two things that people really love. 
and again, I'm a smart aleck, okay? That's, a, that's a, my attempt of weak humor, right? But I'm going to give you a pop quiz this morning, okay? Here's the pop quiz question. Why did these women believe that Jesus was alive? Was it first, it's in your insert, because they just believed it? Did they believe that Jesus was alive because Jesus had previously told them and that he would come back to life? Or was it the, the final, final choice? They had a personal experience with two angels. One, I think it's interesting to know that the first people who identified and were convinced that Jesus was alive was not the 12 disciples, but it was the handful of women followers. They were the first one to be convinced, but what convinced them was not something they had heard. What convinced them was a personal, personal experience with two radical beings, two angels. Notice here in the text, they're scratching their heads, they're wondering, and these angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Notice, what are those first five words? Remember how he told you. Now, now process this. The women at some point were in a setting where Jesus told them what was going to happen. Because you can't remember something if you didn't previously know it, right? I know sometimes your wife accuses you of that, right? Like she never told you, but she said, remember? I get that. I'm married too, right? Us guys, we never do that, just the wives, right? But the angels say, remember how he told you. And what did he tell them? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So the women who spent a lot of time with Jesus didn't approach the tomb and go, oh my gosh, he's resurrected. They didn't believe it. They weren't convinced until they had a spiritual, personal experience. And what happens next to keep the story moving is they rush back to the house where all the disciples are hanging out at. They rushed back, and so you can read with me here in Luke chapter 24, verse 9 on the screens. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. So when we get to, back to the house, we have not twelve disciples, but eleven, because Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, has taken his own life. So now we're down to eleven, but it also says there's others there. There were a lot of people who followed Jesus, and they're all in this house, and they're all sad. They're not throwing a party. For them, Jesus isn't resurrected. For them, Jesus is dead. And notice this. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things. I have twin girls. They'll be nine this month. And sometimes they come home, come home from school and they tell, me, or they tell me the same story at the same time. I don't understand anything they're saying. What do you think the environment might be like when all these women come back and tell them all these things? Do you think it was a clear understanding? Guys, it's okay to laugh, right? It's chaos. They're talking over each other. It's crazy. But it's not what convinces these disciples, right? Notice in Luke 24, verse 11. This is the disciples. These are not strangers. This is the disciples. But they did not believe the women. Notice this next part. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. If you're here and your mama, your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad has been trying to get you to believe, but everything they say to you sounds like nonsense, you're just like the disciples. Actually, you have a greater excuse than they did. These guys walked with Jesus. These guys saw the water turn to wine. They saw him walk on water. They were part of the feeding of the 4,000. They see miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet when their friends, these women, come into the house and say, Guys, we saw two angels and Jesus is alive. They did not believe them because their words seemed like nonsense. Isn't that crazy? 
Now, in the house that day were two guys, and they leave the house, and they take off to a place called Emmaus. And I don't know why they're going to Emmaus, but that's where they're headed. Emmaus is about seven miles away, and they're walking. And as they begin to walk, they begin to argue about what's just happening. They're arguing about what just happened in the house. They're arguing about what the women have seen. Uh, When the women came back and gave that report, uh, Peter and John, two of the disciples, rush off to the tomb, and they find it just as they had said. And so these two guys are walking, and they're having this great argument. And as they're arguing, Jesus walks up to them. But they don't recognize it as Jesus. And so one of the things that we see in this resurrected Jesus is that he can disguise himself. And he disguises himself and he talks and he walks up and he's like, guys, what are you arguing about? And they're like, oh, we're arguing about all of these things that took place in Jerusalem. And Jesus in disguise says, what things? Right? And this is what we find in the scriptures, right? This is found, as you see it on the screen, what things, he asked them. And they reply about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all of the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, starting in the Old Testament, and making his way through all the prophets, Jesus in disguise explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So here's my question to us. What happened for these two men for them to believe that Jesus was resurrected? These guys got a seven-mile Bible study with the man. Think about it. They walked seven miles in Jesus. You ever opened up your Bible and, and been like, I have no idea what this is saying. These guys not only felt that, they had, then had Jesus explain it to them in a way that they're like, oh my gosh, notice what happens. So when they get to the place where they're going, um, they're so, they're so like, captivated by this stranger that they invite him to stay for dinner. And this is what we read in Luke 24, 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Boom, Jesus is gone. Right? They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So here's the question, right? Why did these two men believe that Jesus was alive? Turn your insert over. Was it because the women told them? No. Was it because they had a seven-mile-long Bible study? No. It was because they had a personal experience with Jesus. And these guys immediately rushed seven miles back to Jerusalem. So they've walked 14 miles. Does that sound like fun? I don't even like to drive 14 miles. And these guys have rushed back. So whatever was going on in Emmaus is not important. They've rushed back to Jerusalem seven miles, and they've got to tell the disciples what they've seen. So they go back to the house that they had previously left, and in the house they found the women still going on and on about what they saw. Apparently Simon Peter has now had an experience with Jesus, and he's going on and on about it. And these two guys come in and they're like, Oh my gosh! And everybody's trying to convince the other disciples of what's happened, but none of them are buying it. They don't believe. Check this out. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When Jesus says, Peace be with you, it is the spiritual equivalent of me going, Boo! He scared the snot out of them. You don't believe me? Read what happens next, right? He says, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a what? 
a ghost. What do you do when you see a ghost? First of all, I ain't going to wherever that place was no more. Snakes and ghosts and mice. Those three things. I'm done, right? I don't know. I'm a baby. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had saw a ghost. Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Let's go back to our core question. Why did the disciples pause? Time out. These are the men who were with Jesus. you got to let this sink in. These were the men that were with Jesus. They've had their best friend that are women come back. They've had these two followers from Emmaus come back. And now it takes, notice what it takes. Why did these men believe or be convinced that Jesus was alive? They had spent three years with Jesus and they knew that this was going to happen. No, that's not it. The women and two guys from Emmaus told them, no, it was when Jesus appeared and they had a personal experience. If you're here today and you have a struggle with belief, like even right now, all the things that I'm saying, and you have a struggle believing it, man, you are in great company because the disciples didn't believe it either. The guys who should believe it more than anybody didn't believe it because it was nonsense. Dead people don't come back to life. Dead people don't come back to life. Like my Papa Pete, he didn't resurrect after he died. He's still dead. It, it, it doesn't happen. And these guys are having their best friends say, hey, no, Jesus is alive. They're like, I'm not buying it until Jesus is in the room. And when Jesus is in the room, they lose their heads. But there's a problem. This gets really good and really interesting. One of them's not there. There wasn't 11 in the room that day. There was only 10 disciples because Thomas, we might call him Doubting Thomas, he wasn't in the room. I don't know why he wasn't there. Maybe he was really stressed. Maybe Thomas stepped out for a smoke. Maybe Thomas went out and bought a pack of camels. Come on, that's good. Some of you, like, that's gotten big laughs all morning. Like, if you don't laugh at that, then you just, you just need to, like, watch this on Facebook Live and get with Jesus. This is crazy. Thomas is not in the room, right? Now, this is really key because I've got to read this to you because this, this blows my mind. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, so he walks in the room, Thomas, because it's exclamation point, so i got to do this. We've seen the Lord. Like, what is it like in your life when everybody that you love and trust believes something, but you just can't get it? Think about this. Everybody in the room are people that Thomas has gone to war with. These are people that Thomas trusts with his life. It's people that Thomas has done all sorts of crazy God-sized things with. And they're looking him dead in the eye with full excitement, full passion, full energy, and saying, Thomas, man, Jesus, he's alive, he's not dead. Do you think Thomas believed him? This is so interesting to me. The people that he loved and trusted the most are trying to say, listen, Thomas, man, Jesus, he, I know you saw him crucified, but he's alive But he said to them, get this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. What's going on there? Thomas saw Jesus crucified. And when they crucify you, they they, they put your hand on a cross and they put a nail through your wrist. And so he says, I'm going to put my, I got to put my, before I believe, guys, I I hear you and I know you're passionate. And I, I know this is real for you. I know this is real for you. But I'll believe it when I can put my finger in that hole in his wrist. 
In that day, uh, when the sun was going down and it was Passover, the Jewish people on the day that Jesus was crucified, they wanted the bodies off the cross. And so the leaders gave the order to go and break the legs of the guys hanging on the cross so they would, the guys would suffocate because they would press up with their legs to catch breath and then exhale. And sooner or later, that, that movement back and forth would take their life. They would actually suffocate on the cross. That's how people died. And so the soldiers went around and they broke the legs of the guys hanging so they would hurry up and quit breathing. But when they got to Jesus, they realized that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers grabbed a spear and poked him in the side. And so Thomas has seen this. And so he says, when I can put my finger in his wrist and when I can put my hand in that hole that they put with that spear, then I will believe that that Jesus that you guys all say is alive, I will believe it. I gave you this this morning, and I really want you to play along with me, okay? Even those of you who don't want to play along, humor me, please. I want you to write down your Thomas statement on this. I want you to take that fabric and I want you to say, yeah, I'll believe it. When? I, I know, Matt, I know, Matt, I know that you're really passionate. Because, see, here's the thing. Okay, I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta speak to some, some of you in the room. The majority of you in this room are more for Jesus than you are against him. If you're here in the room and, like, you are, have been, like, against everything that I've said thus far, can I say thank you for being here? Because what that tells me is that you really love the person you came with. Thank you for being a good spouse, friend, brother, or sister, because it just communicates that you have a heart of love for them. So kudos. And I hope that maybe I'm changing your mind in some things. I don't know. But for the majority of us in this room, we are more for Jesus than we are against him. Like you believe that he died, and you also believe that he resurrected. But it's not because you've had a personal experience. It's, that, it's because that's what you've been taught to believe. It's in your spiritual tradition that you were raised teaching that Jesus died and that Jesus resurrected, and you believe it. Like you're not agnostic, you're not atheist, you believe it. But not enough that it changes your life. You're a traditional Christian. The reason I'm asking you to do this is I'm... I've been praying for two weeks that you would have a personal experience with Jesus. That it would move from, yeah, I know it, to, oh my gosh, I know it, and it's changed my life. Now, how do you know if you're in that camp or not? If you can point to things in your life that you do because of the resurrected Jesus, man, I want Jesus to grab your heart to grab your soul, to grab your mind. I want, I want it to be that you parent because of something Jesus has done in your life, that you spend money because of something Jesus has done in your life. You run a business, you work for a business, you're a spouse, you're a friend, and you point, the reason I do life this way is because, man, I had Jesus show up in my life, and when he did, it wrecked me. It changed everything about me to the point that I'll get up in front of strangers and get wet and go public with my faith because, man, it's become real, not because Matt convinced me, but because Jesus showed up. This morning, I invite you to take out that piece of paper and write out your Jesus story. Now, I want to show you about Thomas now. So what did Thomas say? Finger in the hole, hand in the side. Now, how many of us in the room, men, are mentally men? Like, you're a manly guy. Come on. I am. Like, yeah, sometimes I say words I shouldn't say. My wife goes, Daddy. Like, that's all right. Like, I'm a man. <laughs> right? That's okay. Like, some of us guys, we don't want to go to church because we think that, that religion or Jesus is going to, like, castrate us. No way. No way. I want to show you why, one of the reasons why I love Jesus. He is a man's man. Some of you, you think you're manly? You couldn't hang with Jesus. He'd eat your lunch. 
He'd eat your lunch. He'd tie you up. I love, listen to what he does to Thomas. A week later, this is in your insert. His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Boo! And in that moment, I'm telling you, I wasn't there. But the minute that Thomas is in the room and Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you again, I guarantee you, at that moment, Thomas was a convinced believer. He had heard it from his friends, and you know all the disciples are going, See, I told you! I told you, Thomas! And I'm telling you, Thomas was standing there, mouth on the floor. But Jesus doesn't let Thomas off the hook. And, by the way, Jesus will not let you off the hook. Notice what Jesus says. Thomas, come here. Thomas, are you talking talking to me? I don't want to. He says, Thomas, come to me. Notice what Jesus does. I love this. Check this out. Thomas, put your finger in this hole. God, we're good. Like, I believe you. Like, I see you. I don't have... Thomas, you said... Who wants to put their finger in that hole? It sounds kind of gross, right? But see, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can take this finger and I can put it in the hole on your wrist. Then, then, hey, I will believe. So Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Give me your hand. And he makes Thomas do that. But Jesus wasn't done. He said, Thomas, pulled back his robe. Give me your hand. And I believe with everything in me, that while the other disciples and followers are like, oh my gosh, this is really gross. I think Jesus kept eyes locked on Thomas and made him do. Now, why do I think that? Notice why. Jesus says, put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop your doubting and believe. I've heard all of your excuses. You asked for something crazy, bro. You wanted to put your finger in the hole in my wrist and your hand in my side. It's all yours. Do it. Stop doubting and believe. Guys, I'm begging you as much as I can. I'm, would you just kick a little bit of the spiritual door of your heart open and give God something to bless? Give God a shot. It's not for my eyes. I'm not even, like, that's not what it's about. I want God to show up in your life in such a way that you're like, oh my goodness, He is really alive, and therefore, man, my life is wrecked. And I'm sold out to follow this risen Jesus. I want to show you a story. You saw him get baptized. I want you to see how God showed up in Michael Libera's life. Check this out. Hey, man, isn't that a fun story? Good job, Michael. Oh, you got a kiss. Look at there. Now, you want to guess who the happiest wife in the room is? Well, besides mine. Besides mine. Jamie is. Yeah. So now I, I'm, we gotta, I got to wrap this up. They've been coming to this church since 2012. Jamie's a rock star wife, loves Jesus. Michael has a better church attendance than most of you in this room. He's in my D group, right? And I'm pretty sure he just, he just joined it. It's about a year ago now. I think he just joined it just to shut Jamie up, to be honest with you, right? Because um, he was invited in first later on, and he said no. But this time the pastor came up to him and kind of put the screws to him. He said, all right, I'll go, right? And, man, I tried and tried and tried to convince Michael to believe something that I believed. And Michael, I finally gave up. You were frustrating. I loved you, but you were so frustrating. I just said, I'm done, man. And I just began to pray that God would give you a personal experience. And so we had been out to eat Andy's frozen custard because they'll serve that stuff in heaven, y'all. That stuff is good, right? We come back to the house. We're in the driveway, and Michael calls me, and he tells me that story. Like, I was the first to hear it. And I'm fighting back tears because God answered my prayer in Michael's life.
And you know, and he's a different cat. He's still nice. His church attendance hasn't gotten better. It was already good. But he has a personal experience that Jesus changed him. Church, we're going to do a song. This is really simple. I want you to write down what you're looking for. And if you're like, man, I don't know what to write down. Write what I wrote. Jesus, show up. I didn't pray that somebody bring Michael a chicken and a turkey. I didn't. I just prayed that Jesus would show up. And man, God did. That board this morning has been full of people who have come up today. And you'll see safety pins up here at these tables. And if you want people to read it, you can read it. If you want, don't want people to read it, you can fold it. But I ask you to write down your Thomas statement and come put it on the board. Over the next four weeks during this series, I Need a Miracle, we're asking Jesus to show up in your life. And as he does, we're going to start taking things off the wall. And we're going to celebrate that God is, in fact, real. You've had a personal experience, and you can no longer say, man, I don't know if I believe that. I know you believe it, Matt. I want you to have a personal experience. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Go ahead, get on up. And as they do this next song, I invite you to walk up and pin your Thomas statement to the screen. Jesus, be with this next moment. Be honored as we come to you with our ask. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to tell you a story as people put their uh, miracles on the wall there. I was a student pastor in South Florida for uh, almost 10 years and um, great church. And one day, uh, a kid gets invited to the student ministry that I, that I led. And I'm pretty sure he went there because the girl that invited him was really pretty, right? And he tells me while he's there, he says, I'm, I, don't lo- I don't believe in God. I said, okay. And uh, after the service, he came up to me and we're talking again. And he makes this weird statement. I don't even provoke the answer. He just says, I'll believe in God when the pastor uses a trampoline in church. I'm like, what kind of punk says that, Right? And so we leave the student ministry and we walk over to what we call the big church where the adults were singing and worshiping. And we walk in the room and, man, Pastor Troy Grambling has a trampoline on the stage. And I look at the kid. He looks at me and I go, bro, I didn't know. And I go, what are you going to do? I said, you said. <laughs> and I just reminded him of his own words, right? Man, when I look at this wall and when you pin it up there, like, think of the power that's on that wall. If God loves us the way that I think that he loves us, if God wants to show up in your life the way that I'm praying and trust that he's going to show up, like, this is kind of selfish of me, but I'll own it. What would a church look like if it was filled with people who had Jesus personally show up in their life? That would be a dangerous bunch of people. Amen? If you don't think that word amen's weird, it's like, so be it. Word. It's all the same stuff, right? But I look at that and I'm saying, Jesus, would you please make a personal experience in each of these things? Would you show that you love these people in each of the ways that they're requesting? I I think he wants to draw you in. Can I tell you a bad story? A sad one? There's a young man that I know. And I learned this after the fact that happened because it really changed his life. But he had said to himself in his own little private time, he grew up in a military family. And everybody in his family were like successful in the military. And there was a lot of people that got salutes in his family because of their rank and different things. And his statement was, no one would ever salute me because of my life. There's just no way. And so he made this deal with God. He had said, 
the day that somebody salutes me is the day that I know you're real. That's, that was what he said. The day someone salutes me, because I have an unsalutable life, when somebody salutes me, then God, I know you're real. One day his father walked into the house. He was sitting on the couch, and the father said, named him, I love you, son. Unprovoked. Just walked in, told his son that he loved him, and then saluted him. And this guy had a come-to-Jesus experience. Because nobody knew that he had said that except himself and the Lord. Then he started doing life with a girl who felt there was no God. And the very thing, oh, I hung mine up. The very thing that he said, this is how I'll know. And then when Jesus did it, somebody else convinced him that that wasn't true. And today he doesn't walk with the Lord. Today he actually tries to convince me that there's not a Jesus. My heart breaks for that young man because God did the thing that he asked. When God shows up, not if, when God shows up, what are you to do? Can I help you? Say, thank you, Jesus. I believe you. And then you tell somebody. If it happens at the grocery store, happens at a used car lot, happens today at church, I don't care when it happens. When Jesus shows up, thank you, Lord. I accept it. I receive it. And then tell somebody. Amen? And then I want you to come back here on the upcoming Sundays. And I want you to take your miracle statement off the wall. And I want you to give it to me so that we can celebrate as a church family. It is my prayer that we see those come off the wall because God shows up. Amen? Would you pray with me, church? Father, thank you for what you've done today at New City Church. Thank you for the lives that you've drawn closer to you. Father, help us to grow in our belief in you as you reveal yourself to us. It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.